0: Welcome back to another episode of the Fed and Fit Podcast. I am your host, Cassie Joy Garcia, and I am really, really excited about today's episode. It's probably one of the most asked and avoided questions (laughs) that I have gotten on Fed and Fit since having a baby. Today, we are chatting with Lindsay McGonigal. We're going to talk about the science of baby sleep. She is from Sleep Little Lamb. I cannot wait to introduce you to her. So to tell you a little bit about her, she's a certified baby and toddler sleep consultant with a bachelor's and graduate degree in psychology and a pastoral care to women, decades of experience in child care and education, plus two little girls of her very own who struggled with sleep. She knows firsthand the hardships of extreme sleep deprivation, I was there in parenthood with her personal and professional experience plus passion for helping women. She has helped hundreds of families get the rest that they need to thrive and enjoy life again. And I mean, it, that sounds like an extreme statement, but it is so true. After working, our family worked with Lindsay. Grayson was 11 months old when we finally decided we really, we need to do something. She was, and I'll share a little bit about what we were doing in a second, but um, found Lindsay through the, a friend of a friend and she came in and we really, I feel like I had, have a whole new lease on life. All of us do. All three of us do. Grayson is healthier and happier and uh, Austin and myself are rested for the first time in a year. So welcome to the show, Lindsay. So excited to talk today. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Oh, I am so excited, and I get to finally answer everyone's questions by referring them to you. (laughs) 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 Lindsay, to share a little bit more, uh, one of the reasons I I really, really appreciate and look up to her is she, I think that she understands, you understand the basis that there's no one-size-fits-all For babies, which I really appreciated. And you have really done the legwork of the research of staying on top of the latest literature. And she came over to our house and walked us through this first night. We chose a gradual withdrawal method, and I'm sure we'll touch on some of that a little bit. But one of the things I really appreciated was when, because you could, I'm sure you could see just the stress and the worry on me and in my eyes. And then yes. you can just, you you explain the science and, and as a geeky scientist in many avenues, and I know of a lot of our listeners are as well. They, I, it just, that is what spoke to my heart and put me at a, at ease is just understanding developmentally what's best for baby. So anyways, I will promise not to take over the whole show. Um, <laughs> Okay, can you share a, just a little bit about you and what inspired you to become a sleep consultant? Yes,
1: of course. Um, well, I'm a California girl but transplanted to Texas a couple years ago. Um, at that time, I had a barely two-year-old and a six-month-old baby who was still up all night. And I just don't handle sleep deprivation well at all. I mean, no one really does, but I was like at my wit's end, you know, within a few months and she was still not sleeping through the night at nine, ten months and was up multiple times. And it was really taking its toll on me and my marriage and parenting my other daughter and all of those things. So we just had to figure that out and we were able to figure it out with my first daughter. Like we just, we struggled at first, but by three months, she was just sleeping through the night and doing great. But the second kid, she is strong willed. Like she just came out that way and she's spirited and I just could not, figure out why she was still waking up so many times a night. She was so chunky. Like I had her on a good schedule. We were doing a lot of the basics right. So I was at a loss. So out of sheer desperation, we hired our own sleep consultant. And that just really opened my eyes to how complicated the subject can actually be. Like it's not just check these few boxes and your kid will automatically sleep through the night, which I'm sure a lot of your audience has experienced that. Um, and then it's just so life changing to be able to give moms the tools to suddenly get everyone sleeping and feeling good again. And so I just knew that I had found my passion and it was the perfect integration of my background, which was in education and childcare and pastoral care to women, which, you know, I love helping women thrive. So that was a huge draw for
0: me. Well, that's beautiful. You were definitely gifted in this department because I feel like that's exactly what I got. I think you were there. We had a template for gray and she was probably the, she, I I bet the babies are the easier part of your life. Parents are probably more difficult (laughs) or at least in our house. That was probably the way. That can be true. (laughs) Um, I joke with my, my family. I was like, I realized I was the problem. (laughs) Okay, next question, jokes aside. When a baby is born, I would love it. Can you outline to us what is a normal sleep behavior for a baby? And elaborate maybe a little bit on what's going on hormonally, developmentally, and nutritionally that can affect sleep. Yes, for sure.
1: Brand new babies obviously have really different sleep patterns than we do as adults. Um, they will be just getting out of the womb where everything was warm and super dark and they had loud erratic white noise all the time and they were hooked up to their feeding source. like. So they didn't have to sleep and then wake up to eat and do all the things that once they come out, they have to do. So obviously, um, in the beginning, their sleep, it's very normal for it to be in very small chunks throughout the day. You probably won't be getting any long stretches of sleep from the beginning. And their sleep itself can be very unsettled. They actually spend a very large percentage of their time in REM sleep, which is The active dream sleep. So, we do think that, you know, even brand new newborns dream and they will move a lot in their sleep and they'll grunt and, you know, just be very unsettled. And um, they have mom's melatonin in their system for the first few weeks. So, that helps them be that sleepy newborn for most babies. Um, They'll be pretty sleepy the first two to three weeks, but that wears off and they don't start producing their own melatonin until closer to six to eight weeks. Gestation. So if you have a preemie, it'll be even longer. Um, and that in between time where they don't have any melatonin and their central nervous system is so undeveloped, they can just be really hard to settle and really hard to get to get into a deep sleep. Um, so it can be a really tough time for parents around that like three to six week mark. Um, But, you know, as they get a little bit older, they'll settle into a better rhythm, their tummies get a little bigger, they can handle more food at once, so they can go longer between feeds, and then their own melatonin production starts to kick in a couple months later, Um, and that really helps them settle down at night usually, but of course there's a lot more that goes into it besides just that they magically start getting melatonin and start sleeping, you do need to have a lot of other things. Um, like their sleep environment and a good schedule and, and things like that that will help them settle into really good night's sleep eventually.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so, that's like, sounds aspirational. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, when we, so when Gray was born, I, we had no idea what we were doing. And I just wanted to, I wanted to mother in, intuitively. Right. I think that was, mm-hmm. that was my goal and it worked fine, but we've essentially just held her for the first three months for all of sleep and all of her naps. And and then when she got too big to just hold, then I started side lay nursing her and then during the day we were able to put her down eventually around six months. We put her in her crib to nap. And then at nighttime, I just would side lay nurse her to sleep, but because babies stir, which I learned after the fact, mm-hmm. she was not, she wasn't waking up because she needed me. She was stirring because babies stir and, and because mom was right there, I would just start nursing her. And so until 11 months, she was side lay nursing every single hour on the hour mm-hmm. all night long and I was very tired i and i thought i didn't know that i was unrecognizable but my team do <laughs> you hear a Fed and fit now that i've started resting more and coming back to life and working out and all of these things they were like wow you're back <laughs>
1: Yes. You were one of those moms that handled sleep deprivation like with an incredibly positive attitude. And I was like, man, you're handling this well. But at the same time, you probably don't realize how sleep deprived you are.
0: I had no idea. I'm generally even... I I usually am more even kilter. And I think that's what went out the window with sleep for me. Um, (laughs) Anyways, but uh, all of that to elaborate, I would love to know at what age, because that was something that I really struggled with. And I just defaulted to, I'll just hold her. I'll just sleep with her Mm -hmm. because I didn't know at what age are babies really capable of sleeping through the night.
1: Right. And that's such a common question and concern. And I mean, truly, there are a lot of different opinions about it. Um, There's kind of the biological standpoint of when are they physically capable of it versus when should they, you know, quote unquote, and, you know, every baby is so different. And I always do a very thorough analysis before like confidently recommending that like your baby is ready, you know, specifically, but um, biologically and just physically, if you mean by sleeping through the night, that's twelve hours overnight with no feeds, which is usually what people mean. Um, then a good guideline is like over fifteen pounds and established on solids with some protein, ideally. Um, that's like a good rule of thumb. Um, that usually happens around six months or maybe a little bit after. It might be a little bit later in breastfed babies. Um, but there's a lot of babies that can start sleeping through the night a lot sooner than that. And I just read their signs and make sure that we're doing it kind of in line with what they're really capable of. So there's, you know, there's plenty of four month olds that will sleep 12 hours with no feeds. Um, but I just
0: don't push it until they get to a certain age
1: and hit some milestones
0: that makes a lot of sense. So, speaking of these milestones, what are some changes that you will see in sleep patterns as babies transition from newborn to that fourth trimester? Um, which, if folks are unfamiliar, the fourth trimester is—it's essentially we argue that babies are not, you know, totally through gestation, I guess, until they're outside. We just—they just get too big for mothers to be able to deliver them. So, their fourth trimester externally, and then so from newborn to fourth trimester to infant stages. What are some Milestones, as you referred, that we could really pay, start paying attention to?
1: Right. Um, that's such a good question. Really, like you're saying, the fourth trimester, um, theoretically, it, but it's also just practically true that they, it's like they still need to be in the womb. It's like mm-hmm. they still need the darkness and the white noise and the swaddling to help them feel that security that they had. Um, and they slowly come out of that. They slowly want to be able to move and. Um, you know, they start making social contact, uh, like six weeks when they start smiling, and that's actually a milestone because it tends to coincide with when melatonin protection starts and so that can start settling their overnight sleep. But um, to get, you know, a little more sciency about it, like there as early as six months in utero, REM sleep is observed. So it's possible that even like in your belly, the baby is already dreaming and it's a very active sleep. So they have a lot of involuntary movements. They may practice sucking motions. There's a lot of brain activity. Um, But then there's the deeper sleep phases, which in the newborn phase is called quiet sleep, and they kind of just go in and out of the quiet sleep and the REM sleep um, a lot, but they'll get into a deep quiet sleep more often. And then as they get older, you know, they get towards that four-month regression, which anyone with a baby probably knows what that is and has Googled it obsessively because it can really... In a baby's sleep if you happen to have a good sleeper at first. Um, But it is a time where their sleep is maturing. And so their sleep is going to become more adult-like and their sleep cycles will actually become every two to four hours instead of every four to six hours. So they'll wake up more frequently and they'll go in and out of their sleep cycles um, at a lot faster rates. And so that's where you start seeing all of those wake-ups, you know, the hourly, the two-hourly wake-ups overnight, um, because they're just not used to getting themselves back to sleep, but their body's naturally going out of sleep over and over again throughout the night. So a lot of parents end up co-sleeping at that time or just trying, you know, whatever they can to get through it. And some babies will naturally get through it, but others just won't. And it's like, you know, I'll get parents calling with a 12-month-old being like, we're still in the four-month sleep regression, and they just never recovered. So... Um, That's a really common problem that I see. And then, but they do get through it. And the good thing about um, the four month regression, which is really a progression, is that once they hit that point, they are more able to self settle and they're reaching some really important milestones where they can understand and learn and where they're a lot more receptive to giving them some independence to learn how to put themselves to sleep. So it's a great time to start addressing
0: the sleep issues that you're having. That's so reassuring. It's just, it's so nice. And I even love it's a progression, not necessarily a regression. That's just Mm -hmm. in, in general, a better, I think a great way to think about it. Today's show is brought to you by the Nutritional Therapy Association. The NTA trains and certifies nutritional therapy practitioners and consultants with a nutritional foundation that emphasizes the body's innate intelligence and bio-individuality because they know that a one-size-fits-all approach to nutrition does not exist. The NTA curriculum focuses on the importance of properly prepared, nutrient-dense whole foods paired with a well-balanced lifestyle. Sound familiar? <laughs> I love this program so much. Throughout their program, students learn a wide range of educational tools and techniques to identify and correct nutritional imbalances and deficiencies, and students graduate with the education and skills needed to launch a successful career in holistic nutrition. May enrollment for the NTA's Nutritional Therapy Practitioner Program or their fully online Nutritional Therapy Consultant Program is currently open through April 26th. You can head to www.nutritionaltherapy.com to get more info, The NTA's annual conference, Roots, is also happening March 1st through the 3rd in Portland, Oregon. I've attended in the past and can honestly say that it was one of the most educational and inspirational nutrition conferences I have ever been to. No joke. You can go to the nutritionaltherapyconference.com to register. You do not have to be an NTP to go. All are welcome. What this is, this is probably the million dollar question, but it's one that I think I Austin and I have already asked you. We are not pregnant. Nobody read into this, (laughs) but, um, we do, we would love to keep growing our family. And when we do have another baby, what can we do as parents from the very beginning to help encourage healthy sleep habits?
1: Yeah, that's a great question again. And obviously with newborns, like, and in my field, the first thing I say is just safe sleep environment, you know? So um, you want to make sure things are safe before you worry about anything else, which without going into all the details is, you know, a, a crib or a bassinet, as much as possible, Um, you know, avoiding just things like putting big blankets in the crib or sleeping on pillows and sleeping, you know, in upright or slanted positions without supervision. Um, So there's a lot of different things you can go into. Um, But after that, you know, there's a, you can start to try to lay them down um, drowsy, um, but not fully asleep. And this might look really gradual. Like it might start out that they're 95% asleep, but just a little bit awake before you put them down. And then you get it down to 80% asleep and you just work really gradually. It might take a few weeks, but eventually you're putting them down awake and they're actually putting themselves to sleep. And there are definitely kids who, if they're given the opportunity at a you know a newborn stage to do that, they'll hit the four month regression and just kind of sail right through because they're already putting themselves to sleep. Um, So that's a really good way to do it. But of course, also healthy sleep habits have a lot to do with their sleep environment, which I know we might talk about, but just helping things to be conducive to their sleep, um, dark and
0: quiet and all of those things make a big difference. Okay, wonderful. Well, let's run right into that question then. What are some environmental concerns that we can really control? Yeah. Well,
1: you know, once their melatonin production starts, that dark room does become really important even for nap time. So you'll want to put your six to eight week old in a dark room for naps and even start trying for early bedtime because their melatonin will start producing in the early evening. Um, So that's when an earlier bedtime becomes more achievable, but um, that's why the darkness. Um, And then white noise is super helpful and important for like 99% 99% of newborns because they're just all coming right out of your womb, which was very noisy, um, but in a like kind of white noise type of way, like not distinct noises, just kind of like a, you know, a vacuum cleaner, a shower, like what we put on for them and it calms them down. Um, and then, you know, there's just some basic things like I don't recommend using those light up toys in the crib um, or mobiles that play music. You can use them as part of your routine before you put them to sleep. But once they're you know, ready to sleep, turn it all off, let it be dark with the white noise. Um, and then just safety again is kind of the big concern with newborns because of the
0: SIDS risk. Makes perfect sense. Okay. This is so helpful. Okay. The next thing, and this is probably of all of the wonderful information that I've ever personally consumed and really held in high regard from you. I think that your advice on crying was extremely helpful. Could you elaborate a little bit on the science of cry, uh, science of crying, and and how that can relate to sleep? Yes. Um, well, on a very basic level, crying is
1: just how a baby communicates. You know, they don't have any other way to do that um, from the beginning. So learning their cries, their tired cries, their hungry cries, they're in pain, is all really important because I think for a lot of, especially new moms, but really any mom, you hear crying and you automatically get stressed and you assume that your baby is really stressed because they're screaming. Um, And it may or may not be the case that they're actually have a really high cortisol spike or whatever you're sensing. Um, so we react really emotionally and, um, and we fear that there's a lot of distress going on, but there's some really good research now and there's actually this whole American Academy of Pediatrics um, research that was just put out where they compiled all of the research on um, childhood and even infant stress and they categorized um, it into three different categories and there's basically a positive stress response, um, which is brief and mild to moderate in severity. And it's something like getting their immunizations or their first day of daycare. Um, You know, not nothing, but like it's a little bit stressful for them. Um, And then it's where there's an adult that can buffer the stress by providing a loving and supportive environment. They promote growth and um, these provide important opportunities Opportunities for the baby to observe and learn and practice healthy and adaptive responses um, to these kind of negative experiences. Um, so, like, there's one study in particular, and I might have even told you about it when we were um, doing our first night with Grayson, but um, there's one where they took one week old infants, so like way younger than any baby that I would, you know, actually do sleep training with, but one week old infants. They put them all through a routine physical check where it included like a little foot, you know, prick with a pin like they do to get the little blood sample. And the first day that all the babies, you know, cry and they scream when they get pricked and then they registered their cortisol levels and their cortisol does spike, you know, not a crazy amount, but it, it does spike. And then the second day they did the exact same exam with the same babies, um, same situation, screamed and cried again for the, the prick, but there was no spike in cortisol, like mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> they just they, and then the third day they cried less, and there was no spike in cortisol. So the researchers concluded, like the babies are clearly learning. You know, even though there's tears involved, um, their stress levels doesn't necessarily correlate with the level of crying, um, and they. They take that to mean that the babies have learned something from the day before and through that averse experience that they went through. And of course, these babies are being, you know, loved on throughout the day by their parents, and there's a lot of support going on. Um, the other two stress responses are a toxic stress response and a tolerable stress response. And without going into all the details, a toxic stress response is. Um, caused by a strong, frequent, and prolonged activation of the body's stress response systems in the absence of the buffering protection of a supportive adult relationship. So that's straight from their research. Um, and so a lot of people think sleep training is a toxic stress response, but the research is really clear that it falls easily in the positive stress response category, where there's learning going on, where it's, a potentially negative experience that is turned positive because of the growth and development and because of your loving, supportive environment. Um, So I think just explaining that to parents, helping them understand that there are, you know, these different research categories that support this, that there's um, actually some good that comes from some of the struggle that they go through.
0: Oh, that's so reassuring. And I think the thing that really pushed me over into the edge, because we chatted quite a bit before we really decided to chose to mm-hmm. jump in and go forward with sleep training, which like I said, we opted for our gradual withdrawal method, but Gray was, I, we we did the gradual withdrawal method. And And for folks who don't know, there's a spectrum. I'm stealing Lindsay's spiel, but <laughs> this <it. laughs> is from her. Um, but there's essentially a very wide spectrum of sleep training styles. And you have everything from very gradual withdrawal, which is where essentially what we did is we lay gray down and then we had an um, air mattress right next to her. And we just every night would move the mattress away just a little bit further every day. And we would just be right there with her, and then you know that's on the a very gentle end of the spectrum, and then you go all the way to what most people think of as sleep training is pure cry it out. You know that's I think what a, mm-hmm. where a lot of people's minds go, but it doesn't always necessarily mean that. The idea for us was to get our baby sleeping independently in her crib, and the thing that really pushed me. And then of course there are many variations, like you described to us, in between those two. Mm-hmm. and and that was really helpful having somebody hold my hand through how it how to navigate the options depending on depending on gray's personality and how she's reading us and her desires to sleep and all of these different things and you know what she found stressful and what i thought was the most compelling was you the importance of sleep before midnight i think is really when you started talking about that and the just for developmental purposes, the reasons why she really needed to have uninterrupted sleep before that kind of midnight-ish hour, but in that first Mm -hmm. part of the night is what I thought, okay, this is the best thing for her because her with me waking up every hour is just interrupting these really crucial hours. So it was just so helpful. Okay. Okay. Is there any other thing, what would you say if someone's listening and they're thinking, gosh, I don't know if this is for me. I don't know if I should work with a sleep consultant. Do you have any pearls that you would want this person to consider if if this is the right uh, way to move forward? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, to moms, I just say, you know, if you feel stuck and if you've tried a lot of different things but aren't seeing... Any changes or the changes that you really need to feel good again, um, if you're seeing any deterioration in your marriage or your relationships because of sleep deprivation, if you're feeling depressed at all yourself, I mean, depression is way more closely re- related to negative child outcomes than very brief sleep training, you know, there is actually no negative um, outcome for children that are sleep trained in this very brief amount of time. But for kids that grow up with moms that are depressed or even just for babies who who are having a mom who's struggling with depression, I'm not saying that sleep cures that, but it is a very important part of your recovery. Um, So that's a huge reason to do it. Um, But yeah, my rule of thumb is basically if it's been going on for two weeks or longer, and if your relationships or you or your baby appears to be suffering from sleep deprivation, like crankiness and um, falling asleep in random places and there's a lot of babies even will delay developmental milestones because they're just so sleep deprived so if you're seeing anything like that um and, and you feel stuck or you're just not sure how to move forward it's definitely
0: a good idea to get some help that's wonderful and then can you tell everybody how they can find you yes i'm on instagram and facebook um, at sleep little lamb um and then also SleepLittleLamb.com. yes and she's wonderful. I mean, I have the extreme fortune of living in the same city as Lindsay. So we, when we hired her, we, she came to the house and literally held my hand through that first night. Uh, Austin needed way less handholding than I did. <laughs> But uh, she is definitely, she's got incredible information online. Definitely go check her out on Instagram at sleep little lamb. She's got some really wonderful information that she puts out. And for anybody needing a resource, I think that it's, it's a really, really solid one. And I stand by it. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're so welcome. And I'll just mention that if you do go to my website, there's a free
1: nap cheat sheet for the first year. So it'll tell you like how many naps per age that your kids should be having, how many feeds, daytime and nighttime. So it's a really helpful resource for moms.
0: Ooh, that is helpful. I'm going to go download it. In <laughs> that sounds great because I've probably got more questions. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. And thanks everybody for listening. And if you really, if you enjoyed this chat, um, there, may be an op- there may be more Lindsay at some point on Fed and Fit. So stay tuned for that. Thanks everybody. We will have a full transcript over at fedandfit.com. And as always, we'll be back again next week.